Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can also check out the podcast wherever you listen to uh, podcasts, be that Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, uh, a little bit of everywhere. If you could, just rate and review us, if possible, at wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also check me out at patreon.com backslash sonicsinema. Uh, this month is going to be pretty busy. Uh, still have a lot of stuff to talk about with regards to the Oscars. Still have a lot to discuss with regards to today's topic. And then hopefully I will be having my favorite soundtracks of 2021 up on there. That is the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Last weekend was the 2022 Renegade Film Festival, and this was my second time actually covering the festival. Uh, the previous time, it was known only as the Women in Horror Film Festival I covered in 2020, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. And it was it was a really great experience to kind of go out on when it came to my uh, movie watching because shortly after that basically everything shut down and the uh, and watching movies at the time became a bit of a, a bit of a challenge <laughs> for uh, movie theaters so that was the last theatrical experience I had before COVID shut down movie theaters and so this is the first year the Renegade Film Festival has been back since then, and I was really looking forward to this one because of the fact that I loved the sense of community that Vanessa, the organizer and the festival director, came up with, and it's it's just, it was such a wonderful experience. I got to meet some filmmakers that I've come to know over the years. I got to... Uh, see a lot of really interesting films and it's it was just such a wonderful experience and I was really looking forward to that and this was the first real fully in-person festival that uh we I've seen in a couple of years uh you know last year the Atlanta Film Festival had a lot of in person but I it still have visual virtual component as well as a driving component, so it's hard to kind of include that. This was so this was the first. And Thursday, admittedly, it was a full day, first of all, uh, as opposed to just Thursday night, but it was it was a bit of a slow day as far as like getting to interact with people. Um first day back, I think a lot of that uh I think a lot of that is uh, something that you, you know, kind of expect early on in a film festival. And that one was kind of surprising, but, and part of that was because of the fact that it was during uh, school, but nonetheless, it was really great to talk about. Uh, before I get to talking about the festival in general, though, I wanted to share the first of three interviews. One of the things that I like about the Rangan Film Festival, and I think every just about every film festival has this, is they they have competitions for screenplays as well as features. And I know uh, one of my interviews in 2020, Robbie Barnes, she was down for an 
for a short screenplay that she had written, and she was in that competition. This year, I got to talk to writer M.R. Fitzgerald. She was there with her short screenplay, People in the Box, and I hope you enjoy that conversation. First of all, uh, what brings you to the uh, Renegade Film Festival this year? Well, this year I'm a short screenplay finalist, and it's for the script called uh, People in the Box. Okay. If you could uh, describe a little bit about what the uh, what the script's about. Sure. Uh, the script is about a group of performers who uh, are all locked together in a black box theater, and they have to perform in order to survive. <laughs> That's, I, that sounds like a really, it does sound like a really ideal concept for a short film. I, I really, you know, and I, I can see how that would be nice, simple, like 15, 20 minutes short maybe, and just you get in, you get out, and, you know, it's entertaining along the way. Yeah, oh, thank you. Like, and I, I agree, especially in the process of, you know, writing it, because actually it was based on a longer novel I wrote, but that was like a bigger, you know, big move, or big, like a big period piece type of thing. It was really overly complicated. It was a lot of mm-hmm. details. So this project, um, as a short, I, I, it was more of an exercise on stripping it down. Like how much can I strip it down? And then actually stripping it down actually enhances the story and the theme more. And I was actually surprised that it shrunk down to one location. It's a black box theater, so it's black. We mm-hmm. can't see anything except spotlights and then like three to four characters Mm -hmm. and then it has like a three-act structure like they all go through a big journey but it's wrapped up in like 14 pages okay okay yeah i i you can definitely see how that would work visually and um is currently uh currently what is is it is it something that you know is it something that you're eventually going to have produced? Is it something you're interested in having produced? Well, obviously, if you wrote it as a script, you're interested in having it produced. Oh, totally. Um, but I get what you mean of, like, mm-hmm. I, I do want to direct it myself eventually because okay. um, I, I wrote it, like, three years ago. So I've, I've had it in my mind. I know how the shots look and uh, the camera movements and uh, the acting and everything like that. So that's my goal and I've been I spoke to actors already who are interested in a DP so now it's just the funds yeah <laughs> the hardest part the you hardest mean part. um <laughs> is have you is this your first screenplay that you've written yeah actually it is yeah okay um I wrote it uh years and years ago mm-hmm. uh so it's a it's my very first script I've ever written so it's kind of weird to me <laughs> that it's like come this far um in the span of these past few years. Is horror something that has, is it horror something that's been interesting to you over the years, or is it just something where when this idea came about, you just had the idea of, oh, this is a genre idea? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I actually, I always loved horror, by the way, ever since I was a kid. Um, I was always a big uh, fan of it. But weirdly enough, like the longer version of People in a Box in particular, it was a drama. It wasn't mm. a horror at all, by the way. Um, but in the stripping down of the story, it really, and then embracing more ambiguity, actually turned it into a horror film mm-hmm. more than I even ante- anticipated and planned on. 
because at the time when I wrote the script, um, I just started film school, so like I was going out and becoming a real, or you know, like a real uh, quote unquote um, mm -hmm. professional artist. Like I mm -hmm. wasn't art wasn't a hobby anymore. Now it was like a yeah. career I was going to do, and I was really anxious about that. And then the script delves into the anxieties of doing it for a living and mm -hmm. that was and plus like my friends along the way and some people quit you know they hang it up and some people kind of backstab each other and then you kind of and then how do you even you know uh, navigate your way through that to hold true to like yourself as an artist versus you know and then what is what did you even get into this for like did yeah. you get into it to win quote-unquote but then I don't know my experience writing the script I realized like there's no winner you mm -hmm. just because you have to still start over. Like, you know, you make art and then you start over again and again and again. And the only person you have to compete against is really yourself. Mm -hmm. Are there any particular writers who have inspired you in some of the stories that you've written? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, the OG inspiration is Twilight Zone, of course. <laughs> um, uh, because uh, I feel like that show, I mean, was the epitome of ambiguity short story storytelling mm -hmm. a better uh, you know they show don't tell but there's more dialogue but but they make it work for them versus against them and uh, and it's a classic style like there's yeah. a reason why everyone still loves it today and then also my thing is like I love directors and writers who do uh, it's like work that's entertaining and artistic so I love directors like um, like Luca Gordonino and Denis Veneuve, who is mm -hmm. like, you know, they're, yeah. they have horror elements to their work, and it's scary, and it's like, even in ways that you don't even know why, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and stuff like that. So that's where my work kind of has its most uh, inspiration from. Okay. Uh, what is, what has been the, uh, how, how long have you been uh, taking the script to film festivals and the uh, screenwriting competitions? Ooh, I started in 2019, so like right right when I graduated from uh, film school, like I, I started submitting my scripts. And um, so yeah, this is uh, about three-ish years now, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's been, uh, I did not really anticipate the, uh, feed, the really nice feedback I've gotten from it, especially, and then Renegade Film Festival is a really, you know, nice festival. I've heard really good things about it. So even being included, like, in this mm -hmm. higher-level genre film festival, like, I was really, like, I was tickled. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I, I've, I, you know, this is this is my second time covering the festival. And I, it's just, it's wonderful seeing the different voices that are coming into the film. And I like that it's predominantly short film dominated. You know, and with some features, but the short films, you you get a good idea of how much talent is out there making movies with their own particular point of views, with their own stories to tell in very different ways. And I think that's one of the things that's beneficial. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And then and even seeing how people do all that plus, like, I don't know, they, all the movies are wild. Like, they're, mm -hmm. none of them, like, are predictable. None of them, like, bore me. Like, they all scare me on different levels. And they're so, and they're different flavors, different ideas, different backgrounds. And especially coming out of film school, where film school, we're taught, like, you know, one way of filmmaking and one way of writing. 
But going to these festivals, I learned like there's a, uh, there's a million ways to make movies yeah. now. Like there's really no one way anymore, and mm-hmm. and I love that. It 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 really it's really inspiring because then you just know like you know you just do your thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Like that will work <laughs> work for you versus against you. So do you have do you already have ideas in mind for the next script or right now are you just focusing on this one getting this made and then you'll start thinking about the next one? Oh boy, I'm I'm the worst. I, I come up with a lot of ideas at once. <laughs> um, so uh, right now I have two short scripts that are making the festival rounds, by the way. Um, a couple years ago, uh, I had a script called The Boneyard and it was a semi-finalist here. So, okay. and then this one, and that one's going around as well. So people in the box and Boneyard are both uh, being kind of shopped around. And right now I'm finishing up a uh, serial killer feature. Okay. There is certainly nothing wrong with having multiple ideas around. Because, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, once you... And it's fine to just focus on one thing. But I think if you're... Especially if the ideas are there, you, you want to get those ideas in some form sooner rather than later. Otherwise they could vanish. And yes. Yeah. I totally agree. That's like, I totally agree with that. It's, mm-hmm. I think to me, in in my opinion of how I work anyway, like, yeah, like it's uh, the better, or it's a good habit to finish your scripts, but mm-hmm. you're right. Like if the idea is fresh, um, it's going to go away and you're never going to get it back. Mm-hmm. And then yes, you can journal it, but you know, like you just don't get that inspiration that much for mm-hmm. it. So, but, uh, so now I know that about myself. So I'm, I'm still kind of like, I still have a structure of like, okay, well, I don't feel like working on the script right now, so I will work on this and get that inspiration out of the way, and then I'll come back to the script. Mm-hmm. So, like, they all are going to get done eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck. Good luck with uh, this script at Renegade. And uh, good luck with it getting made. I certainly hope to see it make the rounds in festivals and maybe even play here in the future. Oh, thank you. I would love that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I really like about uh, Renegade is it's so much about movies and watching movies, and there's basically a short film block or feature going on every hour or, you know, every few hours, depending on how long the blocks are. And it can be exhausting, and that's one of the things I definitely noticed about uh, women in horror a couple of years ago. Uh, and it kind of, I, I kind of hated it that time because of the fact that I wanted to see as much as possible, and I think I still ended up missing like a couple of short film blocks. But uh, be be that as it may, it's one of those things where. It, it's it's what it is, you know, especially depending on how you uh, moderate your food intake and how you go about doing that. This year, uh, I went bright and early Thursday morning and was really looking forward to getting into the uh, festival. And uh, so the first two blocks this year were Gen Z blocks, which were made by film short films made by filmmakers 17 and under which was, to a certain extent, was the roughest of the bunch in terms of quality, but completely understandable because they're filmmakers who are just getting started. Uh, But there are still some really 
entertaining short films, which we'll uh, talk about as we go along. And then after that was the Filmmaking 101 block, which was uh, student films, which there were four in there, and it was an interesting uh, collection. And I'm going through all of the ones that I... that <clears throat> I go through... I'm going through all of the uh, short film blocks on Patreon, so be sure to uh, check that out. At 2.30 is uh, was the first feature of the weekend. It was... Take Back the Night, which is a psychological horror thriller about a woman who is assaulted after a uh, party, but she can't really explain what assaulted her, and so she starts to get a lot of pushback on her story, and uh, it's it's a really fascinating psychological thriller. It came out uh, last week actually, so you can check it out now. And it's it's worth a watch. It was it was a really interesting one. It was an interesting genre entry and it was it was a good start to the features this year. After that I took in the uh, Techno Terror Block, which is the uh, sci-fi short films. Uh, I did skip the psychological short films to get some food because I was trying to get hungry before watching Coming back for the 645 feature, which was Souvenirs, which is an interesting uh, thriller about a young girl who is looking after her mother, her grandmother's uh, shop, which which uh, focuses on artifacts from past uh, killers and serial killers in particular. And when she gets sent a box of uh, artifacts from a recent murder, she is uh, forced to deal with that in a really interesting way that goes back to her past. Overall, I thought it was good. It was, an, it was a good movie, and uh, it's, it's going to be one worth checking out as well. Followed that up with the uh, Global Terror Block, which was international short films. And I will go through some of the short films that really stood out after that. Uh, I didn't actually take place and take part of either of the uh, nightcaps this year on Thursday and Friday. I did do the after party on Saturday, which is where all of these interviews were recorded. And uh, that was that was a lot of fun. And I, I, I think part of it is because of the fact I've been closing at work so much recently that I just felt like I need to get as much sleep as possible, especially since these were all very long days for me. First thing is we uh, start off with uh, a short experimental and art house film block on uh, Friday. Uh, admittedly, I missed this one. Or, no, I didn't see all of it, but I did see the... Uh, last two, Moochie and uh, Grummy. And uh, those, those were pretty good, but I, I basically stood out in the uh, lobby, talked to some more people, there were more people there, and uh, that, was, that was good. Next up was the uh, feature film The Winter Hunger from Spain, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a really, it's a really interesting movie where it is, it's essentially a zombie movie. It's very much in the Romero 
formula of the Night of the Living Dead as well as the Denny Boyle uh, Day of the Dead or 28 Days Later. I I think it has two-thirds of a pretty good movie before it kind of falls off a cliff in the third act. It's uh, it's it's definitely something that I I thought had absolutely beautiful cinematography, but the part of the reason that it didn't really work for me at the very end is because of the fact that you it's so dark and it's not well lit and it's barely lit at all. You can barely comprehend what's going on. So I I had some issues with that one. Um, at the end, and it sucked because of the fact that I thought it started off very well. <clears throat> Next up was the catharsis block, which focuses on trauma through horror. And actually, my last two interviews of this podcast are going to be from this block. And uh, this is this was this was a very heavy block. It's uh, there were a lot of tremendous films in this move in this one, and uh, I had a chance to talk t- with a couple of the filmmakers from the cathartic block, and one of them was writer director Sid Rosendahl, and they were the creator of Skin and Bones, and I hope you enjoyed our discussion. Okay, well, first of all, uh, who am I seeing here with? Um, I'm Sid Van Rosendahl, the writer and director of Skin and Bones. And your your short played during the Catharsis block at the Renegade Film Festival this year, and it was like like all of those shorts in that block. It was it was very heavy to watch, but it was it was really impactful to watch too. So I I appreciate you. Is this the uh, first festival that it's been at? Yeah, absolutely. This is the first festival it's been accepted to, and the first festival we've gone to in person. So it's a very exciting experience. Where Where did the inspiration for this come from? Um, I personally have recovered from an eating disorder myself. Uh, I've been in recovery since oh god, it's like ten years now, about uh, which is kind of amazing. Um, but. Yeah, uh, I've been in recovery for about 10 years, and I've seen a lot of films about eating disorders, and they always end with this, they get treatment, or she gets treatment, I guess I should say specifically, it's always a woman who gets treatment and gets better. Um, Whereas with addiction, eating disorders, mental illness, it just takes progress and work, like, every day, all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Yeah, and I I think that... I think especially when you're dealing with issues like that, it is important to show the setbacks as and and not try to paint it with a rosy ro- rosy tint at the end where it's like, oh yeah, they and then they got better. It's like because it it's not always that simple, uh, and it's also something where. That is a process, and I think the process is, as somebody who myself, I've dealt with stress, anxiety, all that for a long, for most of my life, and I, I know in really attacking those issues, it has been a process. There have been some times where it's easier than others, there are some times where it, you know, I felt like, oh, I'm getting better, and then I have something happen where I realized, 
that's that's not the case at all. Um, what what was one of the what were some of the challenges you had when it came to uh, putting this? Were there any challenges that you had when it came to writing this and then and then eventually making it into a feature film? Yeah, so uh, I've been writing it for since 2018, uh, 2019 about. Um, got ready to film it around the pan- when the pandemic started. Uh, postponed mm. it for that reason. Um, and the script just kept changing and changing because I had so much time to keep writing it. I think I went over like 170 drafts and stopped mm. counting around then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, really the biggest pro- issue or the biggest thing I ran into while writing it, uh, I think The Blessing in Disguise was me getting COVID right before us shooting because I was able to look at the script and be like, what do we really need here? Like, mm-hmm. what, do I, what do I absolutely need to tell this story? And tear apart wasn't what wasn't needed and yeah. keep what was needed in. So there was this bare bones script mm-hmm. more so coming in. Um, it was easier to shoot with. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things that is so interesting about this is that, and I think one of the things that is so honest about this is that you show the support system that the main character has, but you also see people who are not as supportive. And that that struggle between those two, and you, and even with the because even with the best supporting support system that that process you can easily backslide into some of the same old habits that you have uh what were some of the what were some of the challenges that you had in how what were some of the challenges you had in make visualizing this and trying to make it somewhat cinematic yeah um it was a lot of uh i honestly was quite obsessed with the fly while i was making this i'm actually Mm -hmm. wearing a shirt right now (laughs) as we speak um but yeah i just kept watching david cronenberg's the fly over and over again he's my favorite director of all time Mm -hmm. um and really trying to visualize how he uh break down exactly how he like Four part piece by piece, uh, Brundlefly becoming Brundlefly, uh, Seth mm-hmm. Brundle becoming Brundlefly. Yeah. Um, there are images online of like the makeup artist going like sketch by sketch, and I went through with my makeup artist being like, "Hey, we gotta really piece this out, like you know, make sure this looks right, uh, like throughout the time period um, of the film." Uh, so like keeping aware of like visual effects throughout. Uh, every scene as well as um, working with my cinematographer very closely as to what visual style I wanted. We shot by a, with a 4x3 aspect ratio to kind of get off that horror to video vibe mm-hmm. because that's yeah. what we were going for. Um, so just every step of the way being in full communication with everyone and being completely honest as to exactly what I wanted, what I was going for. Uh, making as many vision boards and 
binders until I was sick. Like, mm-hmm. what were what were some of the what were some of the challenges in making this film during the pandemic? There were quite a few. Um, you know, not only did I get COVID, but uh, because of me getting COVID, we lost our location, which was mm. this beautiful mansion in this very rich part of Utah, uh, but uh, that didn't end up working out because the loca- location didn't work for the new time that we mm-hmm. would have to need, so our location dropped out, and then a producer dropped out, and then an actor dropped out, and uh, slowly we were just losing more and more crew members, and there was a point in time, like, I, I went to bed, and I was sick with COVID, mind you, at the time, so I had taken some NyQuil, and I was, like, lying in bed, and my cinematographer and my producer, who was still on the film, I had two producers, um, they texted me, and they're like, hey, we don't know if this is going to happen, like, you know, like, this is, this is like, kind of falling apart really quick, mm-hmm. we don't know if this is really going to work, uh, I went to bed, I was, like, on cough medicine i was about to like deal with any of that i was like cool i'm going to bed i woke up the next morning i texted everyone i had like gone to film school with that i enjoyed working with i was Mm -hmm. like hey what are you doing like in a couple weeks like are you free this day like what's what's your availability like and we got a crew that i ended up really liking it kind of reinforced like my love of the people i know in salt lake that Mm -hmm. i love working with um and it ended up working out like just fine we got a new location that worked even better for the story the character's stories because the mansion quite frankly didn't make sense with how much the dad was like yeah what job he had it was like a suburban feel Mm -hmm. so we ended up finding like a more suburban looking home that fit everything better it just (laughs) kind of fell into place oddly how that works did you have I mean, having gone through what you've gone through in your life, was it was it taxing for you emotionally to be able to tell this story on screen? I didn't think it would be uh, at all in the beginning. Uh, at first, like I thought the writing was the catharsis part for me. It wasn't until like I got home the first day after being on set that I was just like. I just told my childhood story, like, oh my goodness, I'm feeling a lot. (laughs) And I just allowed myself to really, like, have that space to feel that, like, honored those emotions, just like, it's okay that I'm feeling this right now, but I've got to be back on set tomorrow morning, like, sharp Mm -hmm. and ready, and, you know, and there was a lot of conversations as well with, with the lead actor who was playing, you know, asking someone to pretend to purge, like, it was very important to me that they did not have any history with bulimia whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so there were a lot of frank conversations about, you know, what is your history with eating disorders like? Like, let's, let's talk about that in, mm-hmm. in depth a little bit more. And really getting to know the crew members uh, as well. Um, teaching people in the crew that intuitive eating is okay. Like, you don't have to diet to lose weight. Like, it's, it's all about just being mindful about mm-hmm what you're eating and a little bit of everything in moderation yeah i where did i i don't necessarily want to spoil the ending but where did the idea for that ending come from was it the idea of 
wanting to illustrate this through the idea of body horror or was it just something because of the fact that you had this genre in mind that's kind of just where it went to i i would say it's a bit of both um you know uh, the biggest reason I, w- I would say that the end came about um was because I felt that the only way the main character would truly be able to love themselves was if they mm-hmm. they consumed themselves. Yeah. Oh, sorry to spoil it, but yeah, um, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's hard to talk about without doing it. But so. I I felt that was an odd form of of self hatred and self love, like kind of the ultimate, like they've relapsed and gotten as bad as they can, but also in their twisted delusional mind, like could be a form of. Yeah. Oh no! I I actually like truly learned how to love myself. So yeah. it's a bit of trying to get into that character's headspace of being that sick, and then also mm-hmm. viewing it from the audience and the family members' perspective of oh my god, that character is so delusional. Yeah. Yeah. So is so what is what is next for you with both this film and any other films that you have in mind? So, Skin and Bones is actually uh, based on a feature that I wrote. Uh, it's not been made yet, but it's just been there in the background since yeah. <laughs> I've made this, essentially. Um, so, continuing to like tweak that and work on that, as well as uh, a couple other shorts that I've got going on in the mix. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Are you going to continue to try to submit this to, the, to other festivals yeah we're waiting to hear back from like 10 festivals right now like this is the first one we got picked up from so yeah and it's it's funny i think you and i sort of talked about a little bit earlier it's like the idea that you know that was this festival and i i love what was said about vanessa earlier where it's like it's she this festival was about inclusion and i really noticed that when it was here a couple of years ago and even more so this year and I I, I think this this type of story makes all the sense in the world to be not only put in with the block that was put in but with with the rest of the films in this festival in general because this is about telling this festival really does thrive on Telling uncomfortable stories in through genre, but in ways that make us think and also connect us to the individuals on screen. Yeah, no, um, I loved what uh, I think the director of Maya, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistake, mistaken, I loved what they said about uh, Vanessa and this really being an inclusive uh, horror film festival because. I submitted to this film festival when it was still the Women in Horror Film Festival. And as a non-binary person myself, um, and then my, most of my cast and crew like, being non-binary as well, it, uh, we often do get lumped in with, with women, like mm-hmm. those special women categories, because there's not really yeah. like a special non-binary person festival <laughs> that I've heard of quite yet. Um, so I still submitted to this because I was like, cool, we were all still assigned female at birth, like whatever, but then they changed the name to Renegade, like after I had submitted. So I was like, yeah. cool, amazing. 
like mm-hmm. that's even better. Yeah. No, and I mean, I I actually said, and I I actually said in my curtain raiser piece for about the festival before the festival, where it's like, it you know, I I loved it when it was women in horror, but it makes so much more sense that it's renegade because a not only because of the inclusive the inclusive nature of it, but it just ultimately captures the spirit of what this festival is more because it regardless of Regardless of gender, regardless of ex- life experience, these are all about film. These are all films that are doing something just slightly out of step from the norm, and I, I think that's quite exciting. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, good luck with this film moving forward. Thank you. Hopefully, now that this that first moment is at it's at that first moment. Hopefully, more it'll have more moments and good good luck with what you have coming coming up. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. Next up was the world premiere of Maya, which this is the I want to say it's the second film, but it's actually the first film from a filmmaker who's been on the podcast before, K Eleven, um, and. Uh, she did Black Lake at the 2020 uh, Film Fest, Women in Horror Film Festival, and you you know my history with that, no doubt. I I loved that movie so much, and it was basically the best film I saw in 2020. And uh, Maya is it, it's funny. Part of the reason that it got shelved for a little bit was primarily for um budgetary reasons but also she she felt the need to go to black lake first and you'll be able to read about some of that history in an interview that i did with her at the after party that is going to be running on uh in their own league as long as well as a uh, just an appreciation of her as a filmmaker in general Maya went on to win the Best Feature Film Award at uh, Renegade this year, and she was it was she was very emotional when it came to talking about this movie, and the Q and A was fantastic, and uh, it really gave me a, a new appreciation. I had actually seen Maya before the festival; I'd been able to get a screener from her as well as a screener for Black Lake, so I could watch it again. And her her work really strikes me as something very unique, and I I'm really a huge fan of it. And so uh, check out Maya if it's playing at a film festival near to you. Check out Black Lake when it becomes available. I know it's on Amazon UK right now, but hopefully it will be out other places by end of the year. And uh, that was it was. That was what I was really looking forward to. And one of the things I've said about Kay's work is that it really, for me, her work right now feels like an event. Like, I really cannot wait to see what she comes up with next and how she approaches things next. I really do love her work. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to have gotten to know her because of the film festival that uh, Vanessa's put together. 
After that was a supernatural short film block, Things That Go Bump in the Night, uh, which featured a few really strong uh, short films, including Cottonmouth, which starred Heather Langenkamp, who's one of the jurors on the uh, festival this year. And I actually got a chance to talk to her after on Friday night, and uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to her after Women in Horror, but she actually remembered seeing me around, and we got to talking a little bit. It was really nice. I, it was just very conversational. I didn't really, it wasn't something where I wanted to do an official interview with her. It was, it was just something I wanted to get the opportunity to talk to her, and it was good to be able to do that. I actually missed the, uh, I actually didn't see the last one, Let's Make It a Blockbuster Night, of uh, horror shorts. I will say I did catch up with one after the festival, The Pay, and um, that is that is one that is was was definitely a really interesting one. I I wrote a review about it that is available for everybody, um, not just patrons, but it is at Patreon. And uh, then that was basically my night after I went to uh, get something to eat during that that block because I was just too I was I was honestly too hungry and I needed something to eat. Saturday, unfortunately, I had to work uh, during the day, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so I missed the regional short films, which was really unfortunate because there was one that a uh, friend of mine that I met and talked to at Women in Horror, Aaron Day, was in called Kid Free Weekend. Uh, that had its world premiere yesterday and, or last week, and... It should be around other festivals. Hopefully, I'll be able to catch it another festival. But there was also one that I saw at the 2020 Atlanta Film Festival, and they're called Bliss is Orange, which is a really lovely film. It ended up being one of the big award winners. I also missed the uh, feature film uh, Wolfman's Got Nards, which is uh, Andre Gower's documentary on the Monster Squad and the fandom around the Monster Squad. I was a bit later getting to uh, the festival that day than I expected, so I didn't see all of the uh, horror comedy short films, but I saw enough to really appreciate what was uh, put together in those. It was <clears throat> it was a really interesting uh, collection of dark comedy in there. The final screen of the festival was Freaky, which is the Vince Vaughn kind of slasher riff on Freaky Friday that came out a couple of years ago, but uh, Vanessa wanted to have it this festival, and it was, I didn't stay for the Q&A with uh, Michael Kennedy, the writer, but I really enjoyed the film. I, I hadn't seen it yet. And it was really a lot of fun to watch it with that audience. It was terrific. After that was the awards ceremony. I've already talked about a couple of the awards winners. Uh, and uh, then the after party, where I got to uh, talk to some of the filmmakers in more depth, as well as uh, just <clears throat> as well as just enjoying the uh, company of uh, a lot of just what this film festival represents. And it's one of the things I just really love about this festival. The the sense of community, it it feels 
it very much feels like home to me, and not just because it's like 20 minutes away, but I I just really enjoy this festival, and I, I look back to look forward to returning. Um, that brings us to our final interview, which was with one of the award winners. Uh, Scales is a uh, film short film that played during the Catharsis block as well, and uh, is directed by Robbie Barnes, whom I met the finally met in person at the 2020 festival. She was not there, but the film screenwriter and producer Nani Shiverick uh, was there, and I got a chance to talk to her about the film and what she's got coming up next. And I hope you enjoy it. So I am sitting here with the screenwriter and producer on Scales, which won Best Screenplay. Uh, congratulations. Thank you so win. much. Yeah, thank you. Um, where, where did the inspiration for the movie come from? Um, I mean, I think one of... So the main goal with the project was in, to inspire a more educated discussion about sexual assault. And I, you know, one of the things that frustrates me is it kind of the discussion becomes derailed a lot because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to tell a story that evoked that discussion, that wasn't one-sided, that made you want to discuss consent. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I think anytime you come forward with your own story publicly, it's this like waterfall of other people who come out and say, that happened to me, that happened to me, that happened to me, you know? At one test screening of an like a rough cut of scales some guy came up to me and he was like I didn't even realize that my uncle had molested me until I mm -hmm. had watched your film and so I think it's important to just put the issue out there because it uh, makes people want to talk about it and so that was really I think my frustration with how the issue gets politicized or how it gets brushed under the rug and a lot of people don't want to talk about the hard truths of you know how it feels, how victims feel, but mm -hmm. also the catharsis of moving on. And that that was what inspired me. Yeah. What was where did the uh, where did the idea of scales being shown on the the person who had been violated, where did that come from? Um so I wanted to evoke the sense um, what a lot of survivors feel the dehumanization or the shame or the, you know, there was something you lost within yourself that made you, I think in the Q&A after our screening I said it's like you lost something in yourself that made you bright and shiny mm -hmm. and now you're dirty and you know, changed somehow and so scales, reptilian scales especially, it's a disfiguration and it's a dehumanization and I think that's um, I mean, I myself am a survivor, and talking to other survivors, that's the feeling that a lot of people bring up when talking about how it makes them feel was, um, you know, I was dehumanized, I'm ashamed, I'm dirty, I'm, I'm, I'm broken somehow, and I wanted to create a horror element that evoked that. Mm -hmm. And we put the scales on the lead character's face because you can't escape that. It's not on your back, it's not yeah. on your you know, the back of your leg. It's something that you look at every single time you look in the mirror, which means she's going to relive this experience every single time she looks in the mirror. And I think that is what a lot of people face when they've gone through that. It's, you don't, 
you don't know what's going to trigger you. It could be a certain smell, a tone of voice. It's and you're just constantly reliving this. And mm -hmm. you know, if you are hearing politicians talk or people talk in the press, and they're like trying to defend you know Bill Cosby, for instance, or Harvey Weinstein, and it's for victims, it's you go through that shame all over again. Yeah. What were what were some of the what were some of the difficulties that you had in getting the film made? Oh, budget. As, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as every fil indie filmmaker will mm -hmm. say, budget. We did a crowdfunding campaign, so we ra raised several thousand dollars. That several thousand dollars just gets eaten up faster mm -hmm. than you could blink. Um, we were, it was relatively easy to get locations. I'd originally gone for the school location to my alma mater and they were kind of un unsure if they could accommodate us. And then this other school was like, absolutely, yes, we really want to be a part of this discussion and mm -hmm. anything you want. Like they were totally on board to be a part of the project. So we lucked out with locations a great deal. We shot a lot of the scenes at my aunt's house, another section of scenes at my mom's friend's house. So we really lucked out with location but budget was a big deal um finding the right actress who could carry that role because it's mm. just so dark and i mean she had to go to really you know uncomfortable places mm -hmm. and i think she nailed it if yeah. you watch the film yeah. she absolutely you know it's just you feel for her in every single moment and she did an amazing job and but casting was hard because you have to find the right person um but I have to say, a lot of our issues were alleviated by, I had a fantastic crew behind me. Mm -hmm. A great DP in Paul Moore. Uh, yeah. Robbie Barnes did fantastic directing. Um, so we just had a really awesome creative team behind us. Yeah, and I, I, think the, I think the most important thing that really does come through in the film is just how, is how uncomfortable this is to watch. And it... it coincides with just how uncomfortable the conversation can be and I think the ability to do that is really kind of important because I, I think when it comes to discussing these issues especially in the realm of cinema in the realm of genre as well I, I think it is if if you're not feeling discomfort with something like this, I, I kind of feel like it's your the the filmmaker kind of failed at something. Yeah. Well, you know, that, what we really wanted to accomplish was, you know, we wanted to toe the line of discomfort and watching, mm -hmm. but that at the end you you achieve the catharsis. The scene yes. with her mother. There's a lot of like relief that happens. So you like build up the discomfort. But then that scene just pays off and it's yeah. like, you know, balm on the wounds. And, you know, we wanted, it is an uncomfortable discussion. And when I was at a festival promoting an earlier film and I knew I was shooting scales within the next year. So someone had asked me, what's your next project? And I said, I'm doing a film about sexual assault. And I had people tell me like, oh, I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. Like they reacted like viscerally. Oh, mm. I don't want to touch sexual assault. And I was like, okay, well, I have to. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, like, now I have to make this film. The fact that you're scared to means I have to because I'm not scared to. I know exactly mm -hmm. how I want to touch the subject. But it is really hard because it's, you know, emotional and it's, you know, and, and we told the story in a way that 
does evoke emotions. The guy, the rapist, isn't, you know, overtly villainous. He's yeah. likable. He's charming. She knows him. She likes him. And that's what most sexual assaults are. Mm-hmm. Most sexual assaults fall into this gray area where if you were to walk into a police station and I specifically wanted to tell a story where if this girl walked into a police station, she'd be laughed out of the room mm-hmm. because that is how most most sexual assaults go un, unreported because yeah. the victims feel like, oh, I don't know how I feel. I don't know how I can how I feel about this, how I should report this. Am I even going to be believed? Did this really happen? I don't know. And we really wanted to go into that uncomfortable gray area that makes people want to talk about. And really, the whole issue could have been avoided with a more honest discussion of consent. Had mm-hmm. she felt more comfortable saying no, had he felt more comfortable listening, you know, it's like, it's if consent was a topic that people felt comfortable discussing, maybe this wouldn't have ever happened for these characters. And I think that's, you know, a lot, it, it's empowering women to say no or empowering victims to say no and empowering, you know, the guys in that situation to accept no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I, I do agree about the catharsis, and that is such an important part of this movie. And to a certain extent, it almost starts in. I, I feel like that process does sort of start when the main character starts to see the other people who've been impacted. Yes, because you know you're not alone. Yeah. And I, I love the visual representation, and it was discussed in the Q&A about the fact that some people, for some people, those skills are less, mm-hmm. and some people, those skills are more, and it basically represents that these, all of these different people are on different, are different parts of that journey yeah. towards... Healing or Healing. acceptance. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're all, you know, it, it's an issue that affects everyone differently. So it's going to manifest differently. And um, if, if, you know, if we're talking about scales manifesting on our bodies, that would manifest differently for every person. And we're, we would all be on different levels of our um, acceptance. And like I said, it wasn't during the Q&A, but it was to one of the judges afterwards. He was asking me, you know, about the mother character. And it was very much inspired by my own mother. So when I came forward and told her about what had happened to me, she and she was like a trailblazer in her field. She's this really powerful woman. And she was like, oh, I was assaulted as a child by my stepdad. And it just blew my mind. I was like, how were you? And you don't carry this baggage. You're so strong and powerful and independent. And you're like this person that I've, you know, emulated my entire life after I've like looked up to my mother my entire life and you got over this thing that happened to you as a kid that must have just shaped you so so like viscerally at the core and I really wanted to show the mother at the end she has spoiler alert she has scars and not Mm -hmm. scales so she has healed and I wanted to show that that is the end of the journey that that is the catharsis that you can work through these issues and you at the end can be like you are more than what happened to you mm-hmm. you your strength is bigger than whatever was taken from you and i wanted to show like no matter how hard it is no matter how debilitating it seems you will at some point look in the mirror and see someone bigger than what happened to them or what was taken from them yeah 
Uh, so what do you have coming up next? Uh, coming up next, my first project is going to be my directorial debut. I am so excited about it. Um, and that's big thank you to Robbie, actually, because we worked together after Scales. We worked together on a string of projects during the pandemic because we, it was like creatively, we just needed to like, yeah. and watching her, she's a fabulous director, you know, and it's inspiring to watch her. And people have told me throughout my entire career, why don't you direct? Because I write very much with a vision and mm. I produce my writing and then I find directors who will who are willing to work with me to see that vision made. And I always said, oh, it wasn't for me. And I had this sort of epiphany of, it wasn't that it wasn't for me, it was that I was scared. Yeah. And I was like, you can't do not do something out of fear. Mm-hmm. You have to, even if I do it and I decide, hey, I really don't like this, that's valid. Mm-hmm. But what's not valid is never even trying because I'm afraid. Right. So I've, I, my short that I will be directing this summer, which is crazy to say, I'm directing a short called Dark Water, and it's very much in the same vein of scales. It's sort of a follow-up, but it deals with depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So it's taking horror elements to manifest the feeling of a panic attack mm. that slowly consumes the character to the point that she can't move forward because of the panic attack. Um, and it ends a lot more sadly than scales, mm. but... Um, and that was very much inspired by the story of, um, it was this heartbreaking story of this woman out in, I want to say, like, Oregon or Washington, somewhere in one of the northwestern states, and she had been raped and went to the police and they didn't believe her and her, none of her friends believed her, and the depression and, um, loss of self-worth and self-loathing that she went through was so bad that she killed herself and she made this Facebook post that was basically like I can't live with myself anymore because I hate myself and I don't know how to deal with the fact that no one believed me um, and then she killed herself and so that was part of the inspiration and also the sense of if you've ever had a, anyone out there who's had a panic attack like the sensation of drowning is yeah. one that a lot of people report like I feel like I'm drowning I can't breathe I can't I can't move I'm stuck in place um, so I wanted to take that, and then I was inspired by the story of this woman that was dealing with this PTSD and this anxiety and depression that she could not get over because it was hard for people to see where she was. So um, that is going to be my next project. And then I have um, two features that I have in pre-production. We're just waiting on funding. So one is a reverse ghost story um, told from the perspective of the ghost. Um, so... Um, and then the other one is a thriller. So okay. staying in the horror genre <laughs> with uh, female leads on all of these projects. So. All right. Excellent. Well, congratulations again on the award for scales. Uh, much, much deserved. Uh, and I, I really look forward to uh, seeing what you have coming up next. Thank you. Thank so. you. Yes, the short will be called Dark Waters. So that's okay. going to be the first one coming out. We're going to shoot it this uh, June. All right. Excellent. I'd like to thank MR, Sid, and Noni, as well as K11, who you didn't hear on here. But like I said, that interview will be uh, running at in their own league. I want to thank them for their time at the festival. I want to thank Vanessa for putting on a wonderful festival. 
I'm I'm really looking forward to coming here year after year. It's really a wonderful experience. And if you're in a fan genre in the Marietta area, the Atlanta area, I can't recommend it enough. Is really lovely. Rather than focus on everything I loved at the festival, which I did really love quite a bit of stuff, um, I want to focus on the ones that kind of stood out to me the most in the uh, short film blocks. And uh, I've already talked about the features, so I don't feel like I really need to go into them too much more. So I will say my favorite short films were Complimenting Cowboys, Cannibal Cat, La Chrysalide, I hope I pronounced that right, Povotron 500, Ghost in the Machine, Trauma Zero, Mushi, Grummy, Scales, Skin and Bones, This May Pose a Continuing Threat, Itch, Hexatic Phase, Cottonmouth, Uzo and Black Current, The Pay, Bliss's Orange, Don't Text Back, Unholy Moly, Meat Friend, I'm a Vampire, and uh, that that's a that's a pretty good collection of uh, short films for you to check out as the film festival season goes along. Try to find them online somewhere. Uh, it's a really wonderful and eclectic bunch, and I hope you uh, check those out. That's going to be it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. I actually have quite a bit coming up in March and April. Uh, We're going to be talking about the Oscars, but we're also going to have a guest on that one. I'm looking forward to that. And we also are going to be talking about one of the great movies of all time as it turns 50. And uh, we're also going to be introducing somebody new to the podcast to talk about America's pastime, as well as some more established classics with Tim Cox. That's going to be it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. (laughs) 